Well, good morning. If you turn in your Bibles, please, to uh, the book of 1 John. We'll be in chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, and we'll be reading the first four verses this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can just slip your hand up. One of our ushers will bring one to you. And if you don't have one at home, you're welcome to take that home with you. That's a gift from us to you. First John chapter 1, reading the first four verses. Let's pray before we read. Father, we just thank you for uh, another morning that you've given us. Lord, we, we are blessed even to be here today. Lord, you've been good to us. You've been kind to us. Your mercy is evident, Lord. We can look around and see your mercy in the sky and the, in the trees and, and uh, just the, the fact that we have friends and family. You, you've been so good. And Father, you've been especially good to us in sending your son, Jesus. And we thank you for the season when we celebrate the sending of Jesus to this earth. And Lord, as we, as we think on it this morning, we do pray, Father, that our hearts would be warmed again. We do pray, Father, that you would help us to focus upon uh, Jesus and the miracle of the incarnation. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for it. We pray for your grace upon us this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Amen. Well, as most of you know, I hope Christmas is just a few days away now, and Christmas is the day when the Christian church has historically celebrated the birth of Jesus. So every year at this time, on the Sunday before Christmas, we take a break from our normal routine and spend some time thinking about the birth of Jesus. You have a lot of stuff coming at you this time of year. Uh, Family gatherings, uh, great meals, I hope. I hope your meals are not terrible, but great meals this time of year. You have shopping, you have travel, so much stuff coming at you. And so we like to take a little time on this Sunday before Christmas to stop and take a deep breath and reflect on the birth of Jesus. And when you preach on the birth of Jesus at Christmas time, there are a couple different directions you can go with this thing. You can always go to a text that points you to the events themselves. You can go to Matthew 2 or Luke 2 and look at the angels and the, the shepherds and the wise men and look at the birth itself. Or you can go to a passage that describes not the events themselves, but what those events mean, the significance or 
the importance of the birth of Jesus. And that's what I want to do here this morning. This, this text here, it may not be a typical Christmas text. You, you don't find here the Christmas events themselves. But what you do find here in this text is the meaning of those events. You find the significance or the importance of the birth of Jesus here. I think you find the simple meaning of Christmas here in this passage. We're not going to look at everything in detail here this morning. I really just want to focus on three simple words that we find here in this passage. I think John has given us here the the meaning of Christmas in three simple words. And the first word is this. What is Christmas all about? What is the birth of Jesus all about? Number one, it is about life. In the birth of Jesus, life came to earth. This little book here, 1 John, was written by the Apostle John, and most commentators believe that John was writing here to a group of churches that he knew and loved, and John was writing here uh, to assure these churches of some things concerning Jesus and the Christian faith. And look again at what John uh, starts with here in verse 1. He says, that, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And John was talking there about Jesus. At the end of verse 1, John uses that phrase, the word of life. This this word or, or this logos in the Greek that had become manifest. It had appeared or it had been revealed. And, and John says there that, that we, and I think he's speaking for the other apostles and other early believers, he says we have heard and we have seen and we have touched this Word. And John was referring there to Jesus. Word or Logos was a name that John used for Jesus. John also wrote the Gospel of John, another book in the Bible. And in the first verse of the Gospel of John, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And once again, John was talking about Jesus there. Jesus is the Word. He is the Logos, the eternal Logos. And John says here, right at the start of verse 1, that the Word, Jesus, was from the beginning. The same type of thing that John said in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, he said, in the beginning was the Word, And now here in 1 John, he says that the word was from the beginning. And with both of those statements that John has given us there in in the Gospel of John and in 1 John, with both of those statements about the word and the beginning, John was telling us that Jesus had existed from the beginning of time. John was pointing us back there to the very first verse in the Bible, 
Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. With those two statements about the word and the beginning, John was telling us that in the beginning, back in Genesis 1.1, before God had ever created anything in this entire universe, Jesus was there. In the beginning, or from the beginning, was the word. Jesus has existed from all eternity. That's amazing. Jesus didn't come into being when he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus has existed from all eternity. How is that possible? Well, Jesus is God. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. There's only one God, but that one God has existed from all eternity in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is the eternal Son of God. Jesus has existed from the beginning. But man, John goes on to say here, He says here that Jesus, the Word, who was from the beginning, He was made manifest. He he appeared, or He was revealed in space and time. The eternal Son of God became man. (laughs) And listen, John wants you to know here, He's writing to this group of churches in the first century and he wants them to know that Jesus was a real flesh and blood man. John emphasizes it here several times. John says here that he and the other apostles and the other early believers, they had heard Jesus with their own ears. They had seen Jesus with their own eyes. They had touched Jesus with their own hands. Real flesh and blood human being. In the Gospel of John, John 1.14, John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. <laughs> Man, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. <laughs> there are lots of great things at Christmas time. Friends and family, presents, parties, stockings. Stuffing, Frosty the Snowman, lots of great things this time of year, but please don't miss the point. What do we celebrate at Christmas? The Word was made manifest. The Word became flesh. We celebrate the Incarnation. We celebrate the infleshing of God Himself at Christmas time. The Son of God who had existed from all eternity, He took on human flesh and was born in space and time in a nothing sort of town called Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. And listen, that was a real historical baby named Jesus. Still fully God, but now also fully man, the one and only God-man. 
I told you before that uh, when my kids were a little younger, we had a bit of a tradition in our home at Christmas time. I, I didn't create the tradition, <laughs> just sort of happened. Uh, at our family devotions in the evening at Christmas time, we would sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and by the time it was over, we would all be standing on our seats in the kitchen singing the chorus at the top of our lungs, <laughs> and my kids liked that for some crazy reason. And, and one of the lines in that song says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity. <laughs> Jesus, the God-man. God in human flesh. And you stop and think about it. In the birth of Jesus, God came to earth. Why, why did he do it? Why, why, why would God come to earth? Here's one reason. Love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son Man, the human race had rebelled against God. We had all sinned. We had all run away from God. We had all sold ourselves into slavery to sin and death. We we, we deserve to be destroyed by God. And yet, God loved us. And because God loved us, God came to earth. God, the Son, came to earth to rescue us. Tim Keller, who is pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, he talks about Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy Sayers was was one of the first women ever to graduate from Oxford. She wrote a bunch of mystery novels in the early 1900s. Many of those novels are still popular today. And the main character in her novels was a man named Lord Peter Whimsey. I haven't read the novels, but I've heard that Lord Peter Whimsey was a man who always somehow fell into these mysteries and in the end somehow solved the mysteries. Whimsy's life was not an easy life in the novels and he was not always easy to get along with. He was a likable but flawed person who always seemed to need a little help. And after Dorothy Sayers had written quite a few novels with Whimsy as the main character, all of a sudden, another character appeared in her novels, a woman named Harriet Vane. And Dorothy Sayers, in her novels, just so happened to describe this new fictional character, Harriet Vane, as one of the first women ever to graduate from Oxford. A woman who wrote mystery novels. Lord Peter Whimsey in the novels, he met Harriet Vane, and Harriet Vane helped him in various ways, and they eventually fell in love, got married, and lived happily ever after. And many people believe that with that Harriet Vane character, Dorothy Sayers wrote herself into the story. Sayers had created this Lord 
Peter Whimsy character. She knew he was lonely, needed some help, needed to be rescued in some way. And Sayers in some way loved this character she had created, so she wrote herself into the story to rescue him. And Tim Keller says that God did something similar with us. God created us. And after the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden, God knew that we needed some serious help. God knew that we needed to be rescued in a serious way from our sin and death. And God loved us. So He in essence wrote Himself into the story. The Word was made manifest. God came to earth. And man, you you know, some of us are so familiar with this story, you kind of lose sight of what happened there. Do you realize what happened when God came down to earth? When, 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 When God the Son was born as a baby in Bethlehem, do you know what happened? Life came down to earth. Life was here. And man, Apostle John, he wants you to know that right there in that passage. Three different times here in this passage, John refers to Jesus as life. Did you catch it? Look at it again. At the end of verse 1, John calls Jesus the word of life. And then in verse 2, he says the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Over and over and over again, John is trying to tell you that Jesus Christ, His life, He is eternal life. And man, it's amazing what John says there. He doesn't see there that Jesus has life. No, he says Jesus is life. In his eternal person and being, as the eternal Son of God, Jesus is life. Jesus is eternal life. When God came to earth, God the Son, life came down to earth. And man, the good news that we celebrate at Christmas is that this life named Jesus, who came to earth as a baby, He will now give life freely to everyone who comes to Him in faith. (laughs) Repent. Turn away from your sin and cling to Christ in faith. And and Jesus gives you life. He, He gives you eternal life. Jesus says it a million different times in the Bible. Man, you can go through the Gospel of John and find Jesus saying that he will give you life a million different times. John 6.40, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. 
John 6, 47, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. John 5, 24, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And the Apostle John, he summed it up very simply in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. This life, named Jesus, who came to earth as a baby, will now give life, eternal life, freely to everyone who clings to him in faith. Do you know what Jesus does when you cling to him in faith? He gives you himself. He doesn't just give you some substance called life. He gives you himself. The very God of the universe takes up residence within your heart. The spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is life. So you now have the one who is life living inside of you. Jesus says, whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow springs of living water. The Holy Spirit, life within. Jesus within. That's amazing. Jesus gives life. And man, listen. That is really good news for you and me. Because the Bible says that the human race by nature is dead. Because of our sin, we are spiritually dead inside. No real life at all. But Jesus came to give us life. To give us himself. Jesus who is life. He came to earth To die. In order that we who were dead might then live through faith in Him. Jesus who is life took our death in order that we might have His life. John 10.10, Jesus says, I came. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. (laughs) It came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Man, if you have Jesus today by faith, if you truly have him clinging to him in faith, then you have life right now. Eternal life dwelling inside of you right now. 1 John 5.11, John says, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. If you have the Son this morning, you, you have life. You ever, you ever hear people say, man, this is living. <laughs> this is living. You climb a mountain or something. Oh, this is living. Or you're at a movie. This is living. Or a concert. This is living. You don't actually live until you have Christ. And having Christ is living for all 
eternity. That's one word that John gives us here. What is Christmas all about? What's the birth of Jesus all about? It's about life. In the birth of Jesus, life came to earth. And the second word John gives us here, number two, fellowship. Because this life came to earth, we can now have a deep and rich fellowship with both God and his people. You look at verse 3 again. John says, that which we have seen and heard, namely Jesus, we proclaim also to you. We proclaim Jesus to you. Why? So that. There's the purpose statement. Why do we proclaim Jesus to you? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We proclaim Jesus to you, John says. And why? Here's one reason. So that you might have fellowship. So that you might have fellowship with us, John says. So so that you might have fellowship with, with, with John and the original apostles and the other early believers and other believers now around the world. And John says our fellowship with one another is ultimately a fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So John is basically saying there, we proclaim Christ to you so that... You might have fellowship with both God and God's people. And they're really one and the same. John is saying there that our fellowship with one another is a fellowship with God. Why? Because God indwells His body. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you believers are interacting with one another, you are fellowshipping with one another and you are fellowshipping with the God of the universe. And John says, we proclaim Jesus to you so that you might have that fellowship. You might enjoy that type of fellowship. And man, Jesus Christ came to open up that fellowship for you. And that's an amazing thing. The Greek word for fellowship there is koinonia. And, and koinonia, or, or fellowship in the Bible, it, it refers to a very deep and intimate relationship. Koinonia could also be translated as communion, or participation, or sharing a common life. When, when you have koinonia fellowship with someone. In a biblical sense, you are in deep communion with that person. You are participating in one another's lives. You are sharing a common life together. And John is telling us right there that Jesus Christ came to earth so that we could have that type of relationship, so that we could have that type of fellowship with God. And with his people, which are really all one and the same. Jesus came to give us fellowship. And listen, do you realize, do you you realize that the human race was originally created by God to experience that type of fellowship? 
The human race was created by God to experience that type of close relationship with God and with other people. Amen. The human race, we we had that type of fellowship in the Garden of Eden for a very short time. Adam and Eve living in very close fellowship, sharing a common life together with both God and with one another. But man, sin destroyed that fellowship. Sin destroyed the fellowship they had with God and with one another. We lost the fellowship that we were created to experience. Do you know that ever since the Garden of Eden, the human race has been longing for that type of deep and intimate fellowship. Every single human being, every single human being, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter where they are, every single human being, deep inside our hearts, we know that we were created for some sort of close and intimate fellowship. We have this internal desire, this internal drive to know and be known, this internal drive or desire to experience intimate communion with other beings. Human race longs for fellowship. And man, we search for fellowship everywhere. We are looking for this thing. Looking for this intimate relationship everywhere. Man, we look for it in social clubs, scrapbooking and bowling with other people. We look for that type of fellowship in online social media, Facebooking with other people. We look for that type of fellowship in in our places of employment or at a bar somewhere. It's the Cheers sitcom theme song. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Sometimes you want to go all the time you want to go where somebody knows you and you know them. So longing in the human heart, this longing for fellowship. Man, that's why one of the worst punishments for human beings in prison is solitary confinement. Solitary confinement where we're cut off from all fellowship. Human beings long for fellowship. God created us for that and the good news that we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus Christ came to earth to restore our fellowship. Listen, Jesus Christ didn't just come to earth to give you life. No, Jesus came to earth to restore our broken fellowship. To heal our broken fellowship with God. Listen, Jesus on the cross, he, he, he came to remove the sin barrier that had separated us from the presence of God. The second that you trust in Christ, you, your relationship with God is restored and you now have fellowship with the God of this universe. My word, how amazing is that? You are now living in a deep and intimate communion with. You are sharing a common life with the God of this universe. The Holy Spirit of God. Now living in your heart. But man, you don't just have a fellowship with God when Jesus saves you. A lot of Christians think like that in America. 
Christianity, for a lot of Americans, it's just me and my personal Jesus. But you see, Jesus didn't come to earth just to restore your fellowship with God. Jesus also came to earth to restore your fellowship with other human beings. And the second you trust in Christ, you are brought back into the presence of God and you are brought into a body called the church. A community of believers where you can now experience the close fellowship that you were created to experience. Knowing and being known. Living in transparency and openness with God and other human beings. That's amazing. How many times have you thought about that at Christmas time? That Jesus came to restore your fellowship. He was born to restore your fellowship. You taste that fellowship a little bit here in this lifetime. The second you come to Christ and live that out in this lifetime. But man, you will taste that fellowship in full. In the next lifetime. That's the second word that John gives us here. What's Christmas all about? What's the birth of Jesus all about? Life. Fellowship. And one final word that John gives us here. Joy. You look at verse 4 again. John says, And we are writing these things so that... Another purpose statement. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And when John says our joy there, (laughs) he's probably referring to his joy and the joy of all the original apostles as well as the joy of those who would read these words here. (laughs) We... John says, I and the other apostles, we are writing these things to you about Jesus. We are right now proclaiming these things to you about Jesus so that all of our joy might be complete. So that all of us might believe in Jesus and overflow with a joy in Jesus. And that right there is another thing that we celebrate at Christmas, joy. Jesus didn't come to earth as a little baby just to give us life and fellowship, but also to give us joy. A deep and lasting, overflowing, abundant joy. Man, at my house this Christmas morning, when my kids open their gifts, there will most likely be lots of happiness. There is typically quite a bit of screaming and dancing and hugging around the house. And who wouldn't dance over something as amazing as a pillow pet or a La La Loopsie doll? Lots of happiness in our home on Christmas morning. But here's the thing. That happiness will fade. That happiness will fade. It it will just be a matter of days before that pillow pet is shoved under some bed somewhere and the La La Loopsie doll is forgotten in some corner or underneath my pillow at night. The dancing has stopped. 
It's a fleeting, superficial type of happiness here today and gone tomorrow. But Jesus came to earth to give us something much, much better. Not a circumstantial type of happiness. Not a happiness that rises and falls based upon your situation in life. Not a here today, gone tomorrow happiness. No, Jesus came to give us a deep and steady, long-lasting, eternal joy. Jesus came to bring us back to God. And you know, you know what God is? God is an overflowing fountain of joy. Psalm 1611, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus came to earth as a little baby to bring us to God, an overwhelming fountain of joy, so that we might experience a deep and lasting eternal joy in God because of Christ Jesus. Man, listen, the human race had that amazing joy back in the Garden of Eden for a time. Adam and Eve living in the very presence of God, drinking every second from the fountain of joy at all times. But they lost it. Driven away from the presence of God, the human race was cut off from the fountain of joy. And man... We lost the true and lasting joy that we were created to experience. And listen, every single human heart now longs for it. We long to find true and lasting joy. And we search for it everywhere. Trying to find true and lasting joy in things like pillow pets. Lala loopsie dolls. Trying to find true and lasting joy in homes, and cars, and clothes, and relationships. Constantly groping for some joy that will truly satisfy. Groping for some joy that will not fade away. Entire human race is searching for it right now. I was jogging a couple years back. I don't jog anymore. My knees hurt too bad at this point. Jogging a couple years back and someone had spray painted on the, the path I was, I was jogging on. It said, the pursuit of happiness is the only true human instinct. And I stopped dead in my tracks Probably wasn't good for the person to spray paint it on city property. But that person was right to some degree. Now, I don't know that the pursuit of happiness is the only true human instinct. But listen to me. The pursuit of happiness, it is a human instinct. You have been created to pursue happiness. You have been created by the God of this universe to want to be happy. That is a human instinct. And ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, human beings have been racing everywhere, looking for happiness in all kinds of things. 
The problem is not that we look for happiness. The problem is not that we pursue happiness. The problem is that we pursue happiness in things that will not last. And God whispers to us, that's me. That's me. I am the fountain of joy that your heart has been searching for all of your life. That's me. And I sent my son Jesus to this earth in order that you by faith might enter back into my presence and drink from my fountain of joy forever. That's an amazing thing. God is the only joy, the only, the only joy that will ever truly quench our thirst forever. You begin to taste it in this life. The second you come to Christ, you begin to taste the joy. And you will taste it in full in the next life. For all eternity. Man, so many great things this time of year. I know a lot of you are experiencing them now in your homes, with friends, with family. So many fun things. Enjoy the season. Enjoy it. It comes around once every 12 months. Enjoy it. But please, don't miss the point. What is it that we celebrate at Christmas? The Word became manifest and because of that we can now have life and fellowship and joy forever (laughs) and that is a reason to celebrate this Christmas season joy to the world the Lord has come father we thank you you and your love and kindness That you would send your own son. Greatest gift this world has ever known. And that through simple faith in him. We can receive that gift. And we can enter in to eternal life. Having Jesus, the spirit of God in our hearts. And we can enter into a fellowship with the God of this universe. And with your people. Fellowshipping with you, Father, as we fellowship with one another and we can enter into deep and lasting joy that will go on and on for all eternity. Father, I just pray this Christmas season you would give us a very simple faith in Christ Jesus and you would enable us, Lord God, to step into life and fellowship and joy in Christ Jesus. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.